Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. One of my favorite stories growing up was a classic called Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss. Now, you might be sitting there and you're going, Nick, I've never heard of such a story. And I just want you to know from deep from my heart that I am judging you really, really hard. But anyways, let me kind of explain the premise of the story. There's this guy named Sam. And Sam, apparently his life has been changed by this amazing meal of green eggs and ham. Doesn't sound that exciting to me, but apparently Sam is all about it. Sam encounters this unnamed character. And I don't know if you realized or not, but this character is never given a name. But Sam encounters this unnamed character, and he is trying to offer him this green eggs and ham. He is going to all kinds of measures in order to do that. But yet this character is like, I don't want your green eggs and ham. I don't want them. And Sam tries to offer it in several different ways. But yet this character is unwilling to receive this green eggs and ham. Now, it might be because the character had a bad experience with green eggs and ham, or it might be because um, he's heard negative things about green eggs and ham, or it might just be that he's grown to a place in his life where he's content, and why would he add green eggs and ham to his menu options? We don't know. Dr. Seuss never lets us in on why the resistance but something towards the end of the book amazing happens. There's a shift that begins to happen because of Sam I am and his persistent and his extremes that he is going to to offer this gift to this unnamed character. It, it says this, and I'm going to read it. You do not like them, so you say, try them, try them, and you may. Try them and you may, I say. Sam, if you will let me be I will try them, you will see. And then we have this picture of this unnamed character about to step into the green eggs and ham world. He looks a little bit reluctant, but then something happens. Say, I like green eggs and ham, I do. I like them, Sam, I am. And I would eat them in a boat, and I would eat them with a goat. And I will eat them in the rain, and in the dark, and on a train, and in a car, and in a tree. They are so good, so good, you see. So I will eat them in a box, and I will eat them with a fox, and I will eat them in a house, and I will eat them with a mouse, and I will eat them here and there. Say, I will eat them anywhere. I do so like green eggs and ham. Thank you, thank you, Sam, I am. See, this unnamed character reminds me a lot of myself, and maybe it reminds you of yourself. Because when you think about it, this unnamed character is resistant to what is different. And for me, I have been resistant to what is different. I have run after my own way and I have tried to do things my own way. And I thought I was seeing things correctly until Jesus came on the scene and changed everything. Far greater than green eggs and ham changed this character's life. Jesus comes onto the scene and he illuminates everything and we get a new perspective and right vision. Through what Jesus did on Calvary and overcoming the grave, we now th see through the lens of Jesus. It's kind of like this. I love this picture in Acts chapter nine with the apostle Paul. And let me read it to you, beginning in verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. 
Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. See, when we have an encounter with Jesus and we accept the payment that was paid and we accept his right life for a life that we could not live that was right, everything changes. We now see things through the lens of the gospel. And here is what is true. The gospel gives us clear vision for life. It is time for us to embrace clarity and new vision for our life. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to begin talking about what that looks like through this lens of the gospel and the completed work of Jesus. What does it look like now in how we live this life? And today we're going to start by looking at grace with a right perspective. Maybe grace is something you've heard of but never tasted of. Maybe grace is something that you thought was otherworldly and not something that you could experience. Today, as we navigate scripture and we navigate this text found in John chapter 8, we are going to get the right perspective on grace and get a clearer glimpse of God because Jesus is the image of this invisible God. And so as we dive in and we get our vision right and we can see clear through the gospel of Jesus, let us pray. Father God, thank you for who you are and what you do. Lord, my prayer is that over these next few moments that we get to share together, that you do a work in us and through us, that you will move in a great way. Lord, that you will reveal to us what is true, that maybe we have been resistant to what is true, but maybe just maybe we will allow our guard to be down and our walls to fall so that we can accept what you have for us. So Lord, we pray that you move. Lord, whatever is from you, may it take root. Whatever is just from me, Father, may it fall away. So Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to be in John chapter 8. You can go ahead and turn there now or get on your Bible app. You can go ahead and go there. So John chapter 8. So this gospel is written by John. You remember him as the one who was loved by Jesus. And a lot of times it seems a little snooty and a little snarky that John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. But what I love about this is John is saying, it's not so important who I am, but it's more important whose I am. And I am loved by Jesus because that changes everything and my identity. And so this gospel of John is written to kind of display the goodness and the character of Jesus. And so we see that it's a narrative. We see that we can see how people respond to Jesus. We see what Jesus really came to do, which is really the ingredients of all the gospels. There's three main characters in this. There's Pharisees, they were the right-wing traditionalists. Um, they were trying to keep the law to the best they could. Also, there are some scribes. They were the lawyers. They were making sure everything was correct and factual. And then this lady who's an unnamed lady, which is what we see a lot in some of these narratives of Jesus. Like the name's not so important because typically these people were characterized by really their shortcomings or what others thought. And so they are left unnamed and we never get her name, but we do see that Jesus steps into the midst of her story and changes it. 
And so also in this, you'll notice in your notes and maybe in some of your footnotes that this wasn't originally found in the Gospel of John. Now hear me, that doesn't mean that it's irrelative. It doesn't mean that it's false. What it means is in the narrative story, when people were passing these stories down um, just by speaking them and telling the stories, initially it wasn't found, but it was added later because of the worth and the value of it. And so it got added in after it was originally written, which means that it is still life-giving and it still will display the goodness of Jesus. So here we are, Jesus is walking around doing ministry. People are following him more, but also he is getting more opposition because he is so opposite of the way that most religious people are doing things. And so really, there are people that are like excited about that, but there are also people that are like, who is this Jesus? And what is he really about? So Jesus, what we see is there's no neutral ground on Jesus. Either you are for him or against him. There was no middle ground. And we are going to see that as we step into the story, beginning in John chapter 7, verse 53. It's the last verse of John 7. And then we're going to go through the rest of 8. It says this, then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Here's what I know, and here's what I see in this these small verses that I just read, these short verses. I see that light has a way of clearing our vision. When Jesus sat down with these people to explain what was true, he calls himself the light of the world. And so what he is doing is he is illuminating truth because a light has a way of clearing our vision. Think of it this way. Have you ever been walking in darkness and then you turn the light on? Then you are able to see the things that you weren't able to see before, and it really makes your path clear. It really makes you able to better navigate the path because of the light and what you see. And so he is illuminating what is true. And sometimes this truth was an inconvenient truth. For some of the people who were listening to Jesus, they were like, um, I don't like this. What is going on? But we see for others, it is life-giving. But here's the thing. Once we have a light, we really can see clear. So about a year ago, I was having a conversation with my dad, a little history on me and my dad. Growing up, I had this perspective of my dad that my dad just worked all the time and that he didn't really want a relationship with me. That was kind of the narrative that I drew up. That was what I grew up believing because that was some of the evidence I saw just from the life I lived. So over the years, through many different circumstances, the Lord has allowed me and my dad's relationship to be healed in ways I would have never expected. So last year, my dad and I were on the way back home from dropping off my niece back at her home in Charleston, South Carolina. And I had been doing a lot of work on my soul. I had gone to counseling just to have some deep conversations and just so I could be as healthy as possible. My counselor encouraged me to ask my dad some tough questions because I had some issues that I had not overcome. So my dad and I were in the car and I really just stepped out and I just said, hey, dad, um, I just want you to know it feels as if you were not there for me when I was a kid. I feel like all you wanted to do was work and when you came home, you were tired. And so what I really wanted was you, but what you gave me was stuff. And dad, I just kind of felt like we missed out and I didn't really feel that you cared about me. And then my dad sat there for a minute and he said, well, Nick, I think it's time that I kind of explain some things to you that Maybe you couldn't see behind the scenes. And, and I've talked about this in the past. My mom had a lot of unhealthy habits. 
she really was her own worst enemy, as a lot of us are. But really, she really struggled in a lot of different ways. And so my dad, growing up, had to make a decision because of my mom's unhealth in a lot of different ways. He felt the call and the burden to provide for us no matter what. And so sometimes when my mom would make unwise financial decisions, he felt like he could just work harder so that he could continue to have a roof over our head. And so he said this to me and it changed the way that I saw my whole upbringing. He said, you know what, Nick? I had a decision to make. I knew that I had to provide and I knew that your mother wasn't in the place where she could help me do that. And so, Nick, I decided that I was going to have to let go of really being intentional in my relationship with you so that I could provide for you. That's why I had more than one job. It's just so I could ensure that you had a roof over your head and everything you needed. He's like, because I loved you and your brother so much that I knew it was my responsibility to provide for you. And I was going to do whatever it took for me to do that. And then he said this. He said, Nick, you don't know how much I wanted to have the relationship, how much I wanted to play catch with you, how much I wanted to throw the football with you, how much I wanted you to be involved in sports so I could come and support you. But I just knew that if I gave up on those other things in providing for you, that we would not end up in a good place. And I'm telling you, when my dad said that to me, it changed everything. It was as if someone had flipped the lights on on my past and allowed me to see something very differently. And I remember in that moment just thinking to myself, whoa, man, what a change in perspective. See, that's exactly what Jesus is about to do in the midst of this situation, because for a lot of people around him, they thought that God was just this angry person who had all these rules and regulations. And, and if you didn't meet them, then he was going to smite you. But then Jesus turns the light on and illuminates what is true and says, no, 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 see, my father is good because I represent my father and I'm a picture of my father and my father meets you in the mess and he provides a way where there was no way. And he changes the whole narrative because we are able to see a little bit clearer. John chapter eight, verse three. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Before we get too far past this, I want you to understand something. We can already see from the beginning of this is that there is something off with this story. Here's why I know that. Because if there were two people caught in the act of adultery, both people should have been brought in order for justice to be able to be sought after. And so here we are. They just bring the woman. Where is the man? If you are really about justice and if you're really about doing the right thing, then you probably should do the right thing in order to get to that justice. But we do not see that. But what I see in this is that the Pharisees are very similar to me. What do I mean by that? Is we all view life through a flawed lens. There are fingerprints on the lenses. And in those fingerprints and those smudges in that that lens is kind of cloudy. Why? Well, because of our sin. What is our sin? Our sin is when we fall short and we walk in disobedience. So for these Pharisees, they were viewing this through a flawed lens. And here's the thing. They may or may not have wanted justice, but what they're really trying to do is catch Jesus. 
Really, the one on trial hill was not even the woman. It was Jesus, because if he didn't do something, then they would go, oh, you're a blasphemer. You're not doing the law of Moses. And then if he did do something, they would go, hey, you're not really allowed to kill because we're under Roman rule and only the Romans are allowed to kill people or execute people. So we see that Jesus really is the one on trial here. But nonetheless, these Pharisees reveal something that's true of all of us. We all have a flawed lens in which we view this world and the way we walk. John chapter 8, verse 6. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I love this scene. So here comes these people with this flawed view, this flawed lens. They're like, hey, you should stone this woman. We caught her in the very act of adultery. And so what does Jesus do? He does something so strange from my perspective. In the middle of this conflict, he doesn't say anything, but he does something. He gets down and he begins to write in the ground. And you might be going, that's so weird. And I would agree with you. But then I take a step back from this for a second and I think about something. See, Jesus is writing something in the sand or in the dirt. And you look at him doing that and you go, man, this is kind of strange. But you have to think like, this is a normal posture for Jesus. Why? because he is the one that is the author of the story. And so we see in Exodus with Moses and when God gives these 10 commandments, he, it says that it is written with the fingertip of God or with the hand of God. And so what Jesus is doing is revealing an even better, clearer picture of his heavenly father. And he gets in the sand and the muck and the mire and he begins to write the story. No one knows what he is writing. And honestly, it's not that important what he is writing, but the act itself is what is important because Jesus is showing you who he really is. He's like, listen, I'm the author of this story. And can I just tell you, I need a reminder about who the author of the story is because a lot of times I like to write the story through the lens of my circumstances. I sometimes am writing the story through the lens of my past. Sometimes I'm writing it through the lens of just dysfunction, and I'm not writing an accurate story. But here's the deal. I am not the author. He is. And so in this moment, Jesus is going, hey, I just want to reveal to you who the author of the rules and the regulations are, who the one is who is about to show you this audacious picture of grace. I am the author. And I love that Jesus reveals that by just simply doing what he has always done since the beginning of time. Write the story. And it's funny, sometimes that bothers us and sometimes we get bothered. We're like, well, I don't like the way you wrote the story. I don't like the way you set this up. But here's what's true. I would never, ever, ever go to J.K. Rowling and go, hey, I want you to know that I don't like the way you wrote that Harry Potter story. I, I Listen, I don't like the fact that Hermione and Ronald, I don't, I don't like that. I wouldn't correct the author. Why? because the author is the one who gets to determine and gets to say how the story goes. I wouldn't go to Mr. Clive Staples Lewis, yes, yeah, C.S. Lewis, and go, you know what? This Aslan character, I really don't think you should have used a line. I think an ostrich would have been better. I'm not gonna do that, why? Because it's not my place. My place is to read the story and navigate the story and to walk in the story. And so Jesus is the author of the story. And he wrote, as he always has with his finger in the dirt or the sand, 
revealing to us that he truly is the author of the story. And can I just tell you, we can rest in that truth. We don't, we are not held responsible for writing the story. We get to be a part of the story and we get to live out our part. That allows a lot of pressure to be lifted off of my shoulders and hopefully off of your shoulders as well. Verse number seven. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, this is about to be a mic drop moment. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. See, Jesus right here is doing what Jesus always does. He is writing the vision, the flawed vision, because we all have a skewed vision because of our sin. We all have a lens that has been smeared or smudged because of our sin. It says this in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Another way of saying this is all have flawed view when it comes to our perspective. We all have. Because of our sin, it has skewed our view. And here's the other thing. A lot of times for me, I like to place myself in the stories of scripture and stories anywhere as the hero. But see, as I'm reading this about the Pharisees and I'm seeing their posture and I'm seeing their flawed view, I recognize that I am just like them because a lot of times I'm not able to see my own sin. I'm only able to see someone else's sin that I think is worse than mine. And so I'm just like these Pharisees because they couldn't see that they were holding up religion as their savior and religion can never save you. Only a savior can. And they saw themselves better than this woman, although they were in the exact same position. They both had a flawed view because of their sin and their brokenness. And Jesus, like Jesus always does, is about to give right vision and give a right vantage point for life. In verse number nine, it says this. At this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. I think there's something there, which we don't have enough time for that, but I think there's something there. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Let me read that one more time. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Here's something that we need to pay close attention to. Notice that the one who could have thrown a stone, Jesus, he did not. And you have might have been living your whole life thinking that God is angry at you and mad at you, but I want you to see this picture of God and this picture of grace that Jesus displays so beautifully. The very one who was without sin, which was Jesus, didn't throw a stone. He didn't condemn her as well. He met her where she was, loved her right where she was, not based on the life she was living, but based on the fact that he is love and he offers grace to all who are willing to drink of it. And so he doesn't throw a stone. So you know what that means? If he's not throwing a stone at this woman who was caught in the act of adultery, he is not throwing a stone at you. He's not. 
And I want to apologize if ever anyone has ever made you feel that Jesus is a stone thrower because he is not. That is not how he navigates and that is not what his grace looks like. That's not him in, at all. And I hope that you can see that to be true. I hope that that's able to write your perspective on Jesus and of grace. Verse number 11. No one, sir. <laughs> Very simple response. She's like, uh, no one's here to condemn me. She said, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Through the lens of Jesus, we all get a more accurate view of how amazing grace is. Here, here's what I don't want you to miss. Grace was offered before she started doing the right thing, believing the right thing, living the right thing. Grace was offered first. Here's the thing you need to understand about Jesus. He always takes the first step. He always makes the first move. He always offers himself first. That's the way he does it. That's the way he navigates. That's the rhythm of his life. You don't have to make a move towards me, he says. I always take a step towards you. And we see that all the way from the beginning of the narrative of scripture in Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did he do? He took a step towards them and looked for them and searched for them. And then he clothed their shame through sacrifice. That is what kind of God you have, and that is what kind of Savior you have, and that is what is so amazing about grace, is it doesn't wait for you to move. It steps first, and then we get to respond to it. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we don't obey to get grace and mercy. We obey in response to grace and mercy. See, in light of that, in light of this thing we have tasted of, this grace that we have seen that is truly amazing, we don't try to earn it because you can't earn something that is freely given, but we do respond to it and live differently in light of it because our view and our vision has been set right through the lens of Jesus. Verse 12, I want to remind us, I want to close in this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Clear vision in light of the truth leads to a grace that is embraced. I'm telling you, when you see accurately, you live differently in response to it. So Easter was last weekend and, um, my wife and I gave our kids um, Easter baskets. You might do that. You might not do that. And so we gave Nash. We actually gave all of them stuffed animals because my kids love to snuggle. So do I. Um, and so we gave our kids this. They did nothing to deserve this gift. They didn't do extra chores. They, did, they weren't nicer to us. But we, we wanted to give them something. Why? Because we loved them. And so we gave all of our kids these stuffed animals, and this is Nash's, and you can see it because it says it's on his ear. And Nash named this bunny Cool One, Blue One, or Blue One, the Cool One. Uh, you know what? He's five, and so you just go with it. 
And so we gave him this and immediately he embraced it and he snuggled it and he carried it around with him wherever he goes. Whenever he's watching a movie, Cool One Blue One is sitting in his lap. Whenever he goes to bed, Cool One Blue One is in his arms. Why? Not because Laura and I said, hey, here's the way you need to respond to the gift that I have given to you. No, the reason that Nash is responding that way is because he recognizes that he was given the gift and he loves the gift in which he was given. And so he lives differently in light of it. That is grace. See, grace is not about responding by checking off boxes, but it's responding to a God who stepped out of heaven in the form of Jesus and met us in the midst of the muck and the mire and loved us first. And so we get to live a life in response to this grace, in response to this kind of love, just as Nash is living with this blue bunny in light of the people that gave it to him. He has embraced it and carried it, not trying to prove something, but just because he is living in the abundance of knowing he is loved. What if we could live that way? What if we embrace his new vision for life? What if we embrace his new vision of grace and walked differently a lot of it? And maybe you've never been in a place where you say yes to this grace. Right here and right now, you can say yes to the grace that was offered to you. If you could say something like this, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but the best way I know how, I say yes to your gift of grace that was offered to me through the life and the death of your son and his resurrection. And I tell you what, if you could pray something like that right here and right now on the authority of God's where you will be saved. May we be a people that walk differently in line of this grace. May we see with the right view and may we always look through the lens of this gospel that Jesus lived out and offer to us. Know you are loved. Know we're for you. Let me pray. Father God, thank you. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for this amazing grace. May we live changed by it and may our view be right now because we're looking through the proper lens. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.